If you've been around this church, I'd say since October, my message isn't really nothing new. Because back when Pastor Tom started speaking about slow down, and then uh, he had a message when God stops talking, and it was being careful of that. And then Pastor Sarah did a message, and it was on stop. And when she talked about being in line and just taking in the moment, and uh, then we had a guest speaker who came, and he shared about being community. How do we be community? And then he also shared a personal situation that he and his wife um, have went through. And so he shared that. And that was about, you know, just the troubles that come at time. And then uh, Pastor Joe just shared last Sunday. And fun fact was Pastor Joe was supposed to be speaking today and I was supposed to be speaking last Sunday. But for both of us, for both reasons, it worked out that we changed. But when I was sitting in the back last Sunday listening to Pastor Joe, I was nudging my wife. I kept saying, he's saying my message. He's using my message. He's using my message. And she was like, well, getting annoyed and then just simply like, well, nobody knows but you. Sunday, she came home with lunch and she's like, you know what? I was thinking while I was getting lunch. And she goes, if Joe was saying that message and you're going to say that message, then that's just God's message. So I was like, okay. My wife, Lisa, I got to say her name. She don't want to just be wife. Lisa, Lisa, yeah, I got to say her name. Uh, Lunch would be bad if I don't say Lisa today. So Lisa. But I bring that up that, like I said, if you've been around this church, because God is speaking to this congregation, I feel, in many ways, I think he is speaking to us and he's trying to say something to us. If you would stand and pray with me, please. Revelations 2, 7. Whoever have ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Father, we come before you. And we ask, I ask that you would bless us with ears to hear more than what's being said. Lord, give us those spiritual eyes to see more than what's there. Lord, as you are speaking to us, help us to receive your word and what you are saying. That we, Lord, can flow with you in the Holy Spirit in every way that you would like for us to be, to go and to do. Father, I pray for these that you would confirm through this message things that you're already saying, things that you're already doing in lives, Lord, that confirmation of your realness and your presence in their life in the midst of this congregation would be known and can be known. We thank you for it, Father. Father, I ask that you would release the angels of heaven to to continue to do spiritual warfare on our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So some aspects of this sermon started coming together in the later part of October, early part of November. I wasn't even scheduled to preach as I was bringing this message together. 
And before Pastor Tom's message, when he started, when he spoke, God stopped speaking in December. As I listened to, Pastor, listened to him talk about giving a second chance, correct the path that we're on, to be obedient to what God was speaking to us. He was preaching that message, and I was feeling conviction. And I was feeling the fear of the Lord. And I felt like from that message he was speaking, he was confirming this message here that I'm sharing with you now from the pastor's confession. Shock grips the congregation. <laughs> okay. This all started when I was talking to someone about God and I was saying something to them about God. And then as I walked away, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, you're talking more about me than you're talking to me. And so from that, as I shook in fear walking back to my office, all of a sudden the, the three men from Job came up. I call it the men's group, these three dudes that were Job's buddy. Let me give you a little bit of background here on Job. So the background of Job, script, Scripture itself attests that Job was a real person. He is referenced in Ezekiel 14, 14, James 5, 11. Job was a Gentile and is thought to be, have been a descendant of Norah, Abraham's brother, and knew God by the name of Shaddai Almighty. There are three references uh, of Shaddai in the book of Job's. The book of Job has been called a dramatic poem framed in an epic story. I'll tell you, the book of Job is something else with all the names that I'm going to try to pronounce for you today. And just a lot of the whole story, it's way in the uh, patriarch period of time is when they're talking about it. But the book of Job, for you that may not know, it starts out where the angels of God were coming into the presence of God and Satan was in the midst of them. And then Satan was walking in and then God said to Job, to, to Satan, he goes, what are you doing? Where have you been? He goes, I've been on the earth. And then he says, well, have you seen my servant Job? Have you noticed him? He goes, yeah. He goes, he only serves you because you give him so much stuff. He has so much stuff. And then God says, well, you know what? He's faithful. He loves me anyway. So God told him, take all his stuff, do everything to him, whatever, but don't kill him. So Satan went down and did everything and made Job wish he was dead. But that's what that story is all about in Job and how that came to be about. So knowing that, but the point God was showing me in this, the men of Job, is that Job was going through something because of some conversation between Satan and God. But then these three men show up on the scene. They're his friends, and they're going to come and talk to him, and they see his situation. And so when they get there, you know, it's just how I thought they, they could speak into Job's situation because they knew the things concerning God. So they just knew this. So their conversation with Job was he had sinned 
and had, he had become wicked. And one of the guys, uh, Zophar, my troubles, my, my troubled thoughts prompt me to answer because I am greatly disturbed. I hear a rebuke that dishonors me, and my understanding inspires me to reply, surely you know how it has been from old, ever since mankind was placed on the earth, that the mirth of the wicked is brief, the joy of the godless but a moment, though the pride of the goodness of a person is riches in heaven. I mean, you're my buddy. You show up in my situation and start telling me all of this stuff, that ain't got nothing to do with my situation. They're here, he's telling Job all of this and, and speaking mightily of this. The other guy, um, Elsafrat, I was, I was pronouncing these names, so that's why I'm good. Um, Elsafrat, there can a man be of benefit to God? Can even a wise person benefit him? What pleasure would it give the Almighty if you were righteous? Right there, I just want to stop with that little part. Because as I'm reading this part, I'm like, can a man be a benefit to God? Yes, we can because of God's grace and mercy in calling us into our identities and our gifts. Can even a wise person benefit him? Yes, because God gives us wisdom and he gives us grace. But I'm understanding that these, this is before Jesus. This is before the, the mercy of Christ that they're saying these things. But yet they're speaking from this place as though they know God's heart. What pleasure would it give the Almighty if you were righteous? What would it gain if your ways were blameless? Is it for your pity that he rebukes you and brings charge against you? Is not your wickedness great? Are not your sin endless? You demand security from your relatives and no reason. You strip people of their clothing, leave them naked. You gave water, no water to the weary, and you withheld food from the hungry. Though you were powerful, man, owning land. Then the other guy. Then demons uh, were belongs to God. Dominion belonged to God. He established order in the heights. I'm going to skip down to this now to the kid this kid's talking and again when we're reading this as I'm reading this to you one thing I want you to understand in this is when we speak to people we need to be careful about how we speak to people and those things and again these guys because we know the backstory they're they're just all talking it has nothing to do with the situation and then in uh 32, so these three men stopped answering Job because he was righteous and in his own eyes. But Elihu, the son of Baraki, Buhuzi, of the family of Ram, became, um, you know, I wish it was New Testament with the new English names, uh, became very angry with Job and justifying himself. Job was a righteous man. They didn't get it. Job knew he hadn't done anything to bring that upon him. So he was just confessing from his righteousness and from what he knew that the way that he was. When you read it, Job, you see in there, he's a righteous man and God considers him righteous. It has nothing to do with his righteousness. But these guys are just coming at him about his righteousness. 
In verse 6, Elihu son of Barak said, I am young in years and you are old. That is why I was fearful, not daring to tell you what I know. I thought age should speak, advanced years should teach wisdom. Okay, now all of a sudden he's like, you old folks don't know what's going on. I'm here to tell y'all what's really happening with Job. You know, y'all need some new blood in here. But it is the spirit in a person, the breath of the Almighty that gives them understanding. Totally agree with that. Totally agree with that. But that ain't what was happening here. It's not what was happening. Verse 11, I wait while you spoke and I listen for your reasoning while you were searching for words. I gave you full attention, but not one of you has proved Job wrong. None of you have answered any disagreement. You know, again, being careful about this, about speaking to people, our family members, our friends into their lives and where we do that from. But what troubles me about these guys here is in a part of this, it says that um, they sat with him for seven days. Then they sat the ground with him for seven days and seven nights, and no one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. But it don't say in that time they were discerning from God what was going on, that nobody asked God anything about what was happening. It's okay when we ask people to pray for us. You can get people to pray for you. But I think it's also wise and wisdom to have a few of your close relatives or friends, I mean, around you. And then tell them a little bit of something, what's going on, and ask them to pray over the situation, to seek God for discernment to, for your behalf. I have a friend of mine, he does that with me and a couple of other people that he considers his mentors. Every once in a while, he'll send an email, hey, this is where I'm at, this is what we're thinking, boo, boo, boo. Let me know if God tells you anything, if you got anything for me, answer back. That's wise, to be before God and to discern what he's doing instead of just having, talking to people from places like that. And then in the end of it all, it says, and then he who God was, his wrath rose against him. So Job had to do sacrifice for these men now because God was ticked off about these men saying all this stuff. And then at one part in this book where it really gets good is like, where God comes and when God's talking to Job and he's like, were you with me when I put the sun in the sky? Were you with me? Man, he created some things back then too. You know, you think these names is like, he created the Dinaruharata and were you there when I put the Luhusa? It's just, it's just amazing stuff, man. It just, I don't know what those things would look like today, but they were amazing. I mean, it just, it was almost like reading like a little kid's comic book or something, you know, and, but it was seeing the power of God in there when you read it. Like I say, if you get a chance, you know, you feel bored, read, go through Job, you know. If you do it with the Bible translation, you can get the names like I did, you know. Um, but Job, he had to come back and pray for these guys, and these guys were speaking from this place of just thinking they know God. Now, if a person continues on this path, talking without giving time to stay close with God, it gets dangerous. It gets dangerous. Isaiah 29, 13, 14, the master said, these people make a big show of saying 
the right thing, but their hearts aren't in it because they act like they are worshiping me, but don't mean it. I'm going to step in and shock them away, astonish them and stand them on their ear. The wise ones who had it all figured out will be exposed as fools and the smart people who thought they knew everything will turn out to know nothing. Now I'm gonna say note that for later. But again, here, he's saying, these people make a big show of saying the right thing, but their hearts aren't in it. In one scripture, he says, their hearts are far from me. So the danger becomes that we're coming to church and my heart is far from God. I'm doing this because um, this morning I asked the first service, why do you come to church? Why do you come? Because if we come to church and we have this in our hearts that I'm here and I'm making a big show of it, my neighbors get to see me leave in the morning. They like that. You know, I look good in the neighborhood. You know, uh, I just come here because, you know, I like the worship and all of that. God saying, when the master says, these people make a big show, he knows our hearts. He knows why we're here. When we come to church, God knows these things from this point of view. And like I said, it becomes dangerous that all of a sudden now that I'm coming here and this is a big show. And then I'm telling people about God. It starts to become, I'm telling people about God out of my religion, not my, re my revelation of God. And so therefore, that's what starts to happen to us when we start doing that. And then we start moving away from God. And it's not out of our relationship that we're talking about him. So now all we can do is count on past sermons and stuff that I remember to be telling people about God in those areas. It also gets dangerous for the fact that once we start doing that and we're getting there in that place where I'm kind of half-heartedly now coming to church and I've gotten okay to just speak to people out of my religion, well, the danger in that is Genesis 4, 6, and 7. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do not do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. After a while, we start setting ourselves up for trouble. Cain had a bad attitude. The thing that we need to know that this story of Job started out with, Satan said, I was on the earth, roaming the earth. I was roaming the earth. And he's saying here, God is telling him, Cain there, he's saying, look, your attitude, sin is about to get you because of your attitude. So that's a warning to us that whenever we're with our spouse and we're in a wrong attitude, be careful, because Satan is at your marriage. 
When you're doing something with your kids, if you're in a wrong attitude, if you're posturing and you're speaking, and you're speaking from just your religion but not your relationship and not your truth, sin is crouching at your door. Simon, he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to sift you men like wheat. Not just Simon, but all of them. But I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And you, when you have, turn back, strengthen your brother. Folks, Satan is still today seeking to sift people like wheat. As I've studied through this, as I've gotten to know this, I understand now how blessed I really am. Because there's an enemy out there who is trying his best to get to me. But a hedge of protection is around me, around all of us when we're in that. But this the danger of this is, this is because we're helping him by our attitude. And the fact that gets me is like, He's like, Satan is asking me to sift you like wheat. What galls did he have to go to Jesus and say, let me destroy somebody. Let me, let me have them. Let me destroy them. To go to Jesus. That is such a hatred and set on destroying us. You know, and when Peter, when Peter did fail, Pastor Tom spoke on this. Living the Christian life from our own strength. What else I get about this is Jesus says, I pray for you. I prayed for you. We can't do the Christian life in our own strength. You're going to fail. You're going to end up being Wheaties. If you try it, if you try it in your own strength, you're going to end up being Wheaties. And ain't no box to put you on. You're just going to be Wheaties without a box if we try this in our own strength. So as Christ saying, I pray for you in these ways. Pastor Joe spoke, if you were here last Sunday, he was honest and vulnerable, and he spoke about this very thing when him and Pastor Tom were just having a little conflict. And he said, you know, that God came and gave him a warning in regard to the tension that was between them, that they need to heal this or Satan would use it as a way to get in. This is why we have to be careful in our relationships. This is why we need understanding in some of our relationships. Maybe some people are coming at you in a certain way and you're just like not understanding why is this a way? I haven't done anything wrong. Why are they saying this to me? Why are they acting like this towards me? Because Satan, is trying to sift you like we. And if you feed into him, he can have you, but he cannot destroy you. God will never let that happen. But again, it's us being careful in the way of what we're doing. So in James 1, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil nor um, does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticement. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, 
when it is full grown, gives birth to death. When inner desire responds to outward enticement, sin is spawned. Now I've read in this, where it comes to me from this, is where I've read and have talked to some people, where counselors will talk to people with AA, with uh, drug addictions. And when a person uses and they relapse, the counselors always said, the day you relapse wasn't the day you started. You started drinking or using three weeks ago. You started three weeks ago till you got to this day because it's saying the inner desire responds to the outward enticement. There are those people, like I just said, there are some, I can't go into the bar. My inner desire will be enticed being in there. There are some people, I can't go to the donut shop. <laughs> my inner enticement, my inner desire, and I'll tell you, in that donut shop and all that little window, oh, there's a lot of enticement in there. So I can't go there. I can't be there. I was over at Firestone over by uh, East Town Mall, and I was waiting for my car. It was some spring day, so I was out there, and this lady was out there, and she's on the phone. She's talking to her girlfriend, and she's like, girl, yeah, I'm over here. Give me coffee. And yeah, and then she turns, she's looking at the mall. She goes, yeah, I'm looking at that mall. Girl, I can't go over there. Money just come out my purse every time I go in that place. <laughs> you know? Again, you got to know your places where you can't go. You know? That those things like that for us, in the tempting of things, where it be like that. You know, we had the speaker who talked about being in the tunnel, that he was in the tunnel, um, him and his wife were going through a situation and they were in that dark tunnel, but there were the people who were on the outside who were knocking out there saying, yes, Jesus is here, Jesus is here, Jesus is still there to get them through that tunnel. And that's a part of that is we learning that when these things happen, when things come against us, you know, there's a difference when we put ourselves in the way of Satan, and there's a difference when that testing and time and trial comes, that then we make it through, and we make it through with our community. We were sharing and talking about this, and one of our Tuesday morning staffs, and one of the young lady was relating to her and her husband going through something, or had been going through something, and she shared with us such wisdom. She was like, you know, even when you're in the tunnel, God is still working on your heart. And even when you're in a tunnel, there's no reason. You don't get a free pass that you can be jealous or you can hate someone. She learned that, you know, even in the going through the dark day, even being in the storm, we still have to keep our heart right. We still have to keep our heart right for whatever we're dealing with. And that's why when we're calling out to God for those things and when we need that in that place where God will be there to help us. Now, coming back to where I told you, make note in Isaiah 29. As I was putting this, this, this message together and really was looking at this part and really having an understanding of this part about Satan coming at us, there was a prominent pastor who 
had accusations, and I think they turned out to be true in Kansas City. And as I was doing this, I felt for him because I know how it is that Satan can get us, that we're all vulnerable. Scripture says, restore your brother and your sister to kindness. And when you have an understanding of how vulnerable you are, there is no judgment on other people. Now, I don't get it. I don't understand it. This is a person who knows the Bible upside down and back. And as I was doing this, another prominent person came across my desk knowing about that accusations was coming on this person out of Texas. And it was just like, wow. If you ever watch the animal shows where the animal show where the nature, I like watching those. And the little gazelle just be bouncing around and that gazelle start bouncing away. All of a sudden the bushes start shaking over here and he just over here and the bush is shaking over here and he just <laughs> you know and them bushes is shaking away over there that's what it is for us and I felt like that's what God was saying when he was giving me this message Andrew Andrew get over here little sheep bushes is shaking over there bushes is shaking and I know that before I know the grace and the mercy of God before people fall like that that God gives warning. I know God gives us warning to let us know. But then sometimes, like it said, it says that the inner desires respond to the outward enticement. We have to be careful. We have to be very careful with those things. Be still. So it was a time where I was trying to, as I'm writing this, bringing this message together, and these are things that God is revealing to me to incorporate into my life, and it's be still. I was having lunch with my goddaughter, and some ways into visiting, I asked her, how was her spiritual life going? And if many of us was truthful, she said, not so well. She's like, God's over here on second base. She's like, well, really, third base. I just got a lot going on. She's like, I got a lot going on. And being her godfather and having done all of this, oh girl, let me talk to you, let me help you. Let me get you away from them bushes. Let me get you back over here. And we talked and I shared because I shared from where I was at, from where God was realizing to show me that I could share that with her as I'm sharing it with you all now, as I'm telling you all this. And I must say, I think talking with her did add and provide some insight into this message. So, you know, we sung this song, the song, I build my life on you, God, on your love. And we sang that song. And as we were doing that, I was wondering, I was asking, how do I build my life? And how do you, most of you build your life on Christ? And especially the parents that, you got kids and you're here, you go there, and then you got a back way over here and over there with all of the stuff that's happening in your life. So I build my life on Christ when there's other things influencing how I build my life. How do I build my life on Christ when there's other things that influence how my life is getting built? That I really wanna do that. 
And I was asking Pastor Nathan about that and Pastor Joe, and they were giving me their answers. But I was watching Tony, Dr. Tony Evans, and he gave me the answer that I need. I was watching one of his sermons. And what he said was, he gave an analogy. He goes, the NFL has 32 football teams. 32 football teams. And he goes, and the NFL has a rule book. And then all of those other teams, all those 32 teams, they make and they have a playbook that coincides with the rule book. So we all have a rule book. And what we do in our lives is we build ourselves a playbook that coincides with the rule book that then we can get ahead, that then we are within the realms of the rules. And that's how we build our life on Christ, by doing that with his rule book. The other part of it is calisthenics. Even the football team has that time where they have the calisthenics. They have the calisthenics to work out and to do all those things so that they can implement the plays that are in the rule book. Prayer time is our time. That's our calisthenics for being able to implement our playbook, the plays that we've put in there. That's how we, we do that. And by doing that part is having that time. So with that, we have that rule book. And a part of it is, it's like during prayer. There was one point, one time where uh, Earl Reiner had asked me, he's like, he asked, he goes, how's your, how's your devotional life? And we were in a four-year one day he was here, and I was like, well, I'll disappoint you. I'm not reading my Bible like doing this. I don't do that. I was like, I live with a consciousness of God. I'm always in conscious of God. If I'm looking at some female, I'm in a conscious state of what God is with me, I'm with him. If I'm doing this, I'm in a conscious state. However I act in a grocery store, I'm in a conscious state with God. I'm, I'm like that, and I pray for me. I'm really working on being in a conscious state with God on the belt line. I'm failing at that. I'm failing at that. I just, the attitude of Andrew show up on the belt line. I rebuke that. But I just share with him that, that I am in that conscious state of God. But being in a conscious state of God, I started to realize, you know, you'd be at the hospital and people have those, those little IV drip things they'd be walking around with. You know, you've seen them, they're shuffling through the hallways with that little silver thing and the little curtain that every once in a while go peeky boo uh, in the back, you know as they're walking through and stuff and whatnot. That's being the consciousness of God, is that. But the realness of God is that what we really need is we need that chair. Like my dad many years ago had cancer, and so he had to go get his treatment. And when he'd go get his treatment, he would sit in that chair for like an hour and a half to two hours, if not longer. That's what we need to do. Just walking around with a consciousness of God that's just an IV drip and that just doesn't do it. And so in verse 10, 
It says, he says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the the nations. I will be uh, exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob and, and our fortress. My soul waits in silence for God alone. For him come my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My stronghold, I will not be greatly shaken. As Pastor Thomas said about slowing down, getting to that place to slow down, we're a busy society. We are a very busy society. We're constantly moving. I tell you, one time I was in my office, because as I'm learning this and I'm trying to get myself right, and I'm sitting in my office, I got away from my desk, I went over to my guest chairs, I got two guest chairs to sit there, and I just sat there, because I just wanted to, just nothing on my mind. I just wanted to sit there, nothing on my mind. And so I was trying to just empty out my mind, and then I realized how many people live in my head, and, and then all the thoughts that I cannot get away from. But I just say, you know, to say to people, you have to get to a point where it's unhealthy. The pace that we, we live on can be unhealthy. If you can't get five minutes for yourself, you got to fix something. And God isn't somebody that we just put in into the slot and in there. But we don't just slot God in. We make time for God. He's to be made time for. As it says, stay close. Submit, therefore, to God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and he will come close to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinner, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. We have to be of one mind, drawing close to God, as he say. We should remember Jesus Christ is always lives to intercede for us. Revelations 8, 34, who then is he, the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that who raised, uh, raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. It's telling us Jesus is interceding for us. As Satan comes to sift us like we, Jesus is on the job interceding for each and every one of us. He is on the job making sure that we can prevail through his blood and in every way he wants. If he can spend his time, because you are so important to him to do that, why can't we give him any time? Why can't I give Jesus any time when he's up there interceding on my behalf Because there is an animal, an enemy that's trying to take from me. And so it is all about that. Hebrews 7, 23. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevent them from continuing office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, is all able to save completely those who come to God through him because he's always lives to intercede.